Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you were talking about the differences between the three major ways the origin of life is explained. Based on material from a lecture you've been presenting in several recent Scripture on Creation seminars, Mm -hmm. the title of the lecture being Evolution, Creation, and Intelligent Design, What's the Difference? Yeah, Scott, evolution, creation, and intelligent design are certainly the three main explanations for the origin of life in our world today. And as I've had lots of opportunity to hear questions and people's ideas about these three theories over the years, I find there is a fair bit of confusion about what they mean and what the differences are between them. There are differences that people don't understand which exist, and there is also a fair bit of overlap between Mm -hmm. these theories that frankly can blur the very real distinctions that do exist between them. So the last time you discussed some specific definitions of terms that you used so everyone would know what you mean when you say evolution or creation, and you also explained some of the basic assumptions these different theories have when they present their position. Yeah, these are things that are really important to know. Yeah, and as important as those things are in this presentation, since you talked about those things already, you're not going to take the time to repeat those details today. That's right, Scott. And so I strongly recommend to anyone who has questions about those things as they listen to the program today, which is the second part of this two-part program, that you listen to the first part by going to the radio page on the website, and you can hear Evolution, Creation, and Intelligent Design, What's the Difference, Part 1. <laughs> and where you stopped last time, Dr. Scripture, was with a description of what was physically necessary, according to the theory of evolution, for living organisms to evolve from non-living material. In other words, the theory of evolution requires spontaneous Mm -hmm. generation to have occurred so that simple life forms could then evolve further into the complex diversity of life we see on Earth today. Exactly, Scott. Evolution requires simple molecules to combine to form more complex biomolecules. Those are the molecules like DNA and RNA, proteins, carbohydrates, to name a few, which then those biomolecules must organize themselves into subcellular systems, which ultimately produce a living cell. And to demonstrate that evolutionists truly do believe that that happened, maybe not even on Earth, but somewhere, I want to read a quote that I didn't have time to read last time. It's from an article that was on the front page of USA Today in December of 2013. The headline of the article was, and remember, this is the front page of USA Today. The headline was, Martian Swimming Hole Holds Hope. And this is a quotation from the article. NASA's robotic rover on Mars has found signs that a vast and hospitable lake once spread over the now desolate surface, say the findings in science and announced at the American Geophysical Union Conference in San Francisco. And so then from those findings, they go on to say, a rock sample analyzed in the rover's laboratories showed a wide array of chemicals needed for life, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and others. And then they quote a uh, leading scientist in the search for life on other planets. And he said, quote, if you give it, speaking of life, if you give it an environment, life is going to spontaneously develop. Hmm. So why not on Mars? This person was astrobiologist Clark Johnson of the University of Wisconsin at Madison. 
So here's a person that's teaching at the University of Wisconsin. He's an expert in the field. He's an astrobiologist. And let me read the quote. This is what he said again. If you give it an environment, life is going to spontaneously develop. Now, that is a colossal leap of faith. We've got nothing that we've ever observed to say that's the case. Dr. Scripture, even being educated in public schools, Mm -hmm. our science classes, we learned that spontaneous generation was refuted generations ago. Well, that's right. But again, this is the point that I was making about evolution. It requires spontaneous generation so that then you go from chemicals to life, then to the diversity of life, even as you put it, as you introduce this topic, Scott. So this is where evolution is at as far as explaining where life came from. And that's where we concluded last time. They definitely believe that it had to have happened. What then intelligent design is doing is refuting that idea that spontaneous generation could actually happen. Intelligent design is saying, no, life had to have been designed. And so here are intelligent design theory's main premise. The information in cellular systems, which is ultimately carried by the DNA, expressed in the precise functions of interdependent, and that word is really important. These molecules depend upon each other. They can't just independently sort of pop up and work independently. They've got to work together. So this information in DNA is expressed in the precise functions of interdependent biomolecules in the cell. And then finally, these interdependent molecules direct the coordinated processes of the cell such that it lives. It's alive. It does all these things. It reproduces. It takes in energy. It uses the energy. It expels waste products, all the things that you learn in biology class 101 about what it takes for life. And they propose that these coordinated processes cannot have arisen by random processes. All information systems are a product of intelligence and undirected corruption or mutation of that information results in the loss of that information. In other words, mutations of the DNA result in the loss of information, not new information popping up. If we put it in terms of computer programs, we know that when something is corrupted in your program, you lose that program. You know, it gets a virus. It's all messed up. You don't get new stuff. And that's one of the things that frustrates us like crazy with our computers. You know, there's all that binary information down underneath Windows, down underneath whatever Word program you're using, you know. (laughs) And when there's a problem, it destroys it. You don't get new Word programs. You don't get new games because of the information being corrupted. And so intelligent design then goes on to say, evolutionary theory cannot account for the origin of this information. Neo-Darwinian evolution only applies to existing information. And given this obvious lack in evolution theory's ability to explain where this information comes from, more and more scientists are recognizing this woeful inadequacy. And it's resulting in a large number of scientists who are questioning Darwinism despite what you hear in the media. I mean, in the media, the people that they interview, the evolutionists they interview, they are going to propose that only uh, you know people that are uneducated, people that yeah. don't really know what they're talking about, would ever question Darwinism. But the fact of the matter is there are large numbers. We're talking about thousands of scientists educated in the world's leading institutions that are teaching in the universities around the world, and they are questioning Darwinism. Let me read a quote 
I've shared this before on the radio program, but this is a perfect time to reintroduce everyone to this quotation. And you can find it, if you want to know where, on descentfromdarwin.org. Descent, D-I-S-S-E-N-T, fromdarwin.org. Here's the quotation. We are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged, unquote. That's the quotation that all these scientists are signing. And again, the evolutionists go ballistic and say, oh, no, 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 you, we can't be questioning Darwinism. Only stupid people, only uneducated people do this. I mean, they use that kind of terminology. And that's a very non-committal statement. You know, we just want to consider evidence to the contrary. It's not right. saying it's Darwinism science. is wrong. It's not saying, you know, there's a creator. It's not saying anything like that. Exactly. It's just simply doing what science is supposed to do. <laughs> and yet the bulk of the evolutionists out there will will really get upset when that kind of statement is proposed that, yeah, we should sign that. We should adhere to that. But ultimately, that statement is a statement that people that would adhere more to intelligent design theory or at least interested in looking into it would propose. But as we pointed out in in the previous program, when I was giving explanations of the actual definition, what intelligent design really is, we pointed out that intelligent design theory is not interested in trying to find out who the designer is. You know, they leave that up to philosophy, I guess. You know, they leave that up to another area of inquiry. So that leaves us then still with the question, what or who is the source of the information? In other words, who is the designer that's behind the information we find in living organisms? And simply put, creation as an explanation for the origin of life, addresses the question. So then, as we also pointed out last time, there are several brands, if you want to put it that way, several different kinds of creation, but I just want to zero in on what we call biblical creation. And biblical creation would say that the source of biological information is the source of all revelation. In Genesis 1-1, it's the creator who says, in the beginning, God created. And so biblical creation points to the biblical creator as the source of the information in living organisms. And it's really interesting. It's not just the Old Testament that begins with pointing to that creator. The New Testament in John chapter 1, verse 1 says, quote, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. In other words, that word, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, he is that creator that Genesis 1-1 refers to. Well, in the next verse or in the next couple of verses, doesn't it say that everything was made through him? Yeah, and came into existence as a result of him speaking that word there in Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. Boom, and there was light. <laughs> so my proposal then is, is it not logical that the creator would choose to reveal himself to man about whom the Bible says God created man in his own image? That's in Genesis 1.27. Isn't it logical that the creator would reveal himself in an objective written form that could be carefully preserved through history and not just, you know, sort of uh, little ideas, little thoughts that come to us osmotically <laughs> by looking out into the trees or space? And so note what the Bible says about itself. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Another text in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.20 and 21 says, Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, 
For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Thus, what the Bible says about itself is that there is information there about creation, about what God did. Not a whole lot of it. That's why we've got creation scientists who are trying to fill in the details based on the fundamental truths that the Bible reveals. And that is the essence of the creation explanation for the origin of life. And what those of you who believe what the Bible says and think that what the Bible proposes is reasonable, you should be encouraged that great minds throughout human history, including large number of scientists who founded most of the scientific disciplines we study today, have carefully examined the scriptures and found them to be amazingly accurate and self-consistent, and most importantly, life-transforming. And I would also say that careful examination of the text often reveals remarkable correlation with what modern scientific discovery is proposing today. And so given these three different explanations, what do you think is reasonable? I would offer this wisdom from Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.